It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the. And there's a. Now that's a follow up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Notre Dame knocked off the rust in a 42-26 victory over Florida State this past weekend that had its share of concerning developments for the Irish, but they get another chance to keep things headed in the right direction this Saturday um, against a slate of another disappointing team in Louisville. Um, the Notre Dame schedule hasn't been the most uh, intimidating yet, but uh, plenty of opportunities to get better. Uh, linebacker remains uh, a topic uh, that is very important for the Irish this season. So once again, we invited on uh, former Notre Dame linebacker Rocky Bowman uh, to enlighten us with some of his knowledge. Rocky, thanks for joining us. Fellas, how are you? It's always great to join you, and I'm happy the Irish are 3-0. and uh, Always room for improvement, but uh, in this crazy uh, time we're living in, I'll take it. I'll take it any day of the week. <laughs> Rocky, I wanted to start kind of broad there. What, what have been your impressions of the Irish so far this season? Well, it's been great. Let me first start off by saying, I, I and again, I, I'm usually doing my own college game on, on Saturday, so it's hard to catch a full game. I catch a little here and there. Sure. Uh, I first want to say, I, I don't know what your guys' experience be, has been in terms of the feedback, but having my former coach, uh, Tony Dungy, doing the, the analyst work uh, on the TV games, I think he sounds great. Obviously, he's not gonna he's not gonna be a John Gruden yell and scream and, and you know, all that sort of stuff. But his football knowledge is is I think is second to none. I, I by the way, I always thought that people always focused on how great of a person he was and, and he is. That it almost overshadowed, in my opinion, how smart of a football mind he was. And, and playing for him for two years and seeing that up close was really cool. So I, I think he sounds great on the telecast there. So that's, that's obviously, um, you know, something uh, that that's pretty cool to, to see. But then outside of that, look, I mean, it's, it's just a weird year for everybody. I, I don't think you can read too much into stats and too much into, you know, this or that. I, I think you've got to take one game at a time now. So more than ever. And uh, I, the number one thing the Irish have is, is the offensive line. And that's something in my opinion is, it's so hard to come by uh, in these days because just of how, you know, offense is focused on tempo and, and, and all that sort of stuff. It's hard to work on it because there's not the two-a-days and all that sort of thing anymore. So the fact that Notre Dame has, I would say arguably, maybe not arguably, that the best offensive line in the country, if we start with that, I think everything else can be figured out as we go along. Well, speaking of figuring things out, it doesn't seem like nationally – a lot of people have figured out how to play defense. I mean, the SEC is crazy this year. It <laughs> feels like the Big 12. But, but uh, I mean, do you think some of that 
do you think just football's evolving or do you think some of that is, you know, with the layoffs a lot of teams had and the weird training camps that maybe you just didn't get to a lot of live tackling in August? Eric, it's funny you say that because that's certainly part of it. The fact that, I mean, teams can't and weren't working on tackling a lot to begin with. And then now this comes and you're not getting together because of spring and that, but it's funny, the, the, the conversations I've had with coaches, you know, I talk with two coaching staffs every week, and uh, it's been really interesting when you talk about COVID and the effect it's had. The thing they talk about, it's not so much the, the, the scheme work they haven't been able to do, it's the fact that they haven't been able to bond as a team. And I've always thought of being a, a defensive player my whole life, defense is a lot on emotion and, and a lot on knowing where your buddy is, right? Knowing – and having that confidence and, and being a tight group. The good defenses I've been on in my life, college and pro, had guys that were, were tight on and off the field. So I think some of that team bonding can happen, and I, and I wonder if that's having – it's just a little theory, but I wonder if that's having a particularly negative effect on, on the defenses. If they're trying to – yeah, they're trying to get the scheme and, and figure all that, that's, that's hard enough. But then that one, you also don't really know the guy next to you as you may have as much in years past, I think that might be a factor as well. Yeah, Rocky, kind of continuing on that, I'm curious that Notre Dame had a 21-day layoff between games and uh, had a nine-day stretch there without any practices. How, how do you feel like that would have impacted you, you in the middle of the season and how that would have impacted your team? Oh, that's tough. And, and I feel for all these kids and these coaches this year, every – again, every – program I talked to during the week has had their own unique set of challenges and just when you think oh my god this one school how could they ever deal have that on top of everything else this this and this happened then the next week it's it's an even crazier story <laughs> um yeah I mean look football players are, are creatures of habit you know I myself uh, I can speak for myself when I got into football season I I put my head down and I'm grinding I'm going forward and every day was the same I wanted every day to be the same you kind of get in that routine football players coaches thrive on routine and when things upset that it really tests the the I guess the chemistry of your team but also tests the leadership of your team right and can you not find a way to not allow these things that are so unordinary uh, to come in and, and affect you so yeah for, to have Notre Dame be off for three weeks and I know they came out in a little bit slow against Florida State but I, I thought by the end of the day uh, they looked pretty good again the offensive line the in the running game was really strong, but it, it's tough. I mean, again, these are not professional athletes. These are still college kids that are going to, you know, chemistry class and they're going to British literature class and they're dealing with their girlfriends, breaking up with them and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> along with now the fact that you all that schedule that these kids for so long have thrived upon uh, is now so out of balance. You know, at linebacker, number six, their rover, Jeremiah Wusukormoa, he's, he's a fixture there. And, and then they have interesting situations at the other two. They have Drew White, their middle linebacker, who played so well last year. And then they have a kid surging behind him uh, and Bo Bauer, who's kind of a throwback kind of linebacker. Yeah, and then at the like buck linebacker, they've just had different bodies, healthy you know, the virus has hit that position particularly hard, and it was one with a lot of competition to begin with. I think the fan favorite is Jack Kaiser, the kid that played in the South Florida game, uh, you know, came off the bench and, and got the game ball. 
I'm wondering when you kind of look at their linebacker situation, what are you seeing kind of big picture? Yeah, I think they're kind of suffering from the same things that, that a lot of teams are. You know, you're, you're kind of scrambling. You didn't have that off season to really get the reps and, and get a look. So coaches, you know, I, I think you're, you're kind of going by their gut a little bit, and maybe that, that can be wrong. That can be a little bit um, maybe not exactly on point. So you're doing – coaches are doing more learning about the roster as the season is going on. So, you know, and again, then the, then the schemes and the, the things like that that players maybe aren't exactly up to. But I, I think they'll figure it out. I mean, the good thing is when Notre Dame recruits the way they recruit, I think that the athletes, the bodies are going to be there. Now it's also part of, okay, you can have great players, great you know ranked players, but how do they now fit into the scheme? That's the hard part. I think – the coach right now can tell you, all right, that guy can play. Maybe that guy's not ready yet. But now once the guys that can play, how do they fit into that scheme? How do they work well with the rest of the defense? That's going to take a little bit of time. But I think Notre Dame is in a good spot, and there's still, you know, plenty of games. It's not like they're playing late, uh, you know, eight-game schedule like uh, like the Big Ten is. You know, they've, they're going to have a couple more weeks to play and figure that out, which I think certainly bodes well for Notre Dame, not just to have a successful season, but also – make it an extra special season and maybe get to the playoff. Rocky, kind of from a philosophy point of view and ignoring the circumstances that are currently going on, what, what are your thoughts on uh, linebackers playing with each other and having a continuity or, or linebackers working through a rotation? I know Notre Dame has started as, as experimented a little bit with trying to rotate some linebackers. And I think if they trusted everyone, I think they would maybe even prefer to do that. But how do you think, that would work at the linebacker level. Do you think that is, is helpful or do you think that might be detrimental? I always hated a rotation. I hated that with a passion because I wanted to get in the flow of the game and, and get some, you know, get some continuity going a little bit. And I felt like sometimes, you know, even as a, as a sophomore at Notre Dame and then, you know, at times in the league, you know, you're on a, a third down package or you, you're that sort of thing. You go in, you have a nice play. You're like, okay, let's build on this. Well, then you're out for five plays, and then you get a couple going, and and you know here's the problem too is when when you know there's a rotation, it almost forces you to not be able to relax and just play because you're you're pressing the issue a little bit because you're like oh my god I want to prove the coach that I'm the guy, mm-hmm. and I know I only got a few reps to do that before they bring this kid in, and then another few reps they'll bring that kid in, so it almost for like presses you in a negative way um, to to have to try to maybe make a play that's not there, so. I don't, how to get around that, I don't really know because I understand where coaches are. And uh, But I just know as a player, and I bet you if you ask any of those linebackers uh, for the Irish right now, they'd say they hate it too. Like, like just give, give someone a game, you know, evaluate that, then give another kid a game, evaluate that, and then maybe sort it out that way versus the rotation stuff. I, I want to get your um, opinion on Ian Book from a defensive standpoint. You, you're a defensive player. You know, you think like a defensive coordinator. How would you try to defend him? What would you try to get him to do that's uncomfortable for him? That's interesting because uh, I, I think he I think he reads defense as well. I, I mean, if you ask me what's the, the best attribute a, a quarterback can have, I think it's the quick decision-making. I think he does, does well at that. Um, I think for him, you know, maybe just kind of, you know, get him outside the pocket kind of thing, uh, you know, try to just give him some different looks might be the thing for him. The other thing with Ian, I feel like the conversation in every year is, 
is the deep ball going to come in? I've been working on the deep ball, and I think the deep ball is going to be there. Well, at some point, you got to kind of be who you are. And if, if throwing, you know, 10 deep balls a game successfully isn't him, okay, you got to understand who your personnel is, who your quarterback is. And I think we know who he is at this point. So if he's not a guy like Aaron Rodgers throwing bombs all day, that's okay. We'll figure out what, what does he do well. He gets the ball out quick. He's, he surveys the field well. He's able to distribute the football. Let's go with that versus trying to make him someone he's not. Rocky, have you had a chance to see any of BC's games yet, Phil Dracovic play? Uh, Boston College, you said? Yeah, yeah. I, I have not. I know they uh, they just had a win uh, What last week. Uh, the guy missed the extra point, right? Right, in overtime, yeah. yeah. Well, because Notre Dame Boston fans, College and extra points and kicking game, that doesn't sit well with me. I'm sure it doesn't with you either. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason why I was asking was because Notre Dame fans, or a lot of them, have become obsessed with this kid that transferred to Boston College and is playing quarterback for him. So. Oh, you're talking about uh, Dracovic, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So um, it's funny because I actually called his – Junior year in high school for you know for ESPN uh, usually the they call it week zero we do some of those uh, high school showcase games right. and, and I remember doing his and I, I thought he was fantastic and I was super excited about him and, and I've been reading along of what you know obviously what Tyler and, and, and you Eric have been you know covering with him over the years I know it didn't quite work out well with him but I mean you know just as a as, as a you know former player I'm happy that he's having some success and I think that's a good thing for him. Rocky, you mentioned getting out and covering some games for ESPN this season. What has it been like just being on the road and covering college football in this current atmosphere? Do the games feel strange to you, or what has it been like? Or, or is it kind of neat to see how think people have kind of come together and been able to make things work? Yeah, God, I could talk about this for forever. I mean, I've done – believe it or not, I've done six games this year so wow. far, which is incredible. And, you know, I've been lucky, knock on wood, you know, games have been postponed and analysts have had to have been shuffled around and stuff. I've been pretty much on schedule, which is good. Um, it, it is weird, you know, like uh, two weeks ago, I was uh, I was a sideline analyst for uh, Baylor, West Virginia. And that was weird because that's usually a place that's rocking pretty good. You know, that's mm-hmm. they, they pack some rowdy fans in there uh, at West Virginia. And to have that place be totally more or less silent was was kind of eerie and weird. Uh, most of the places I've been, though, they're at a minimum capacity, you know, 6,000, you know, 4,500 kind of thing. So, um, at least you get – I feel like it's been okay. I, I was, I've was i been pleasantly surprised with that. The fans that are there, um, I, I think, make a difference. I can certainly, you know, feel it. it, it it's different. I, I think that's also negatively affecting defenses, too, by the way, going back to that. I, I think defenses feed on emotion. I know I did as a player. And all of a sudden, once third down, and usually, you know, you're you know throwing your hands up like, come on, crowd, get into that. <laughs> you can feed off that, and all of a sudden, boom, that's not there. I, I, I think that's a, a huge factor that no one is talking about that I, I certainly feel when, when I'm at these games. You know, the Big Ten is going to be starting, oh, about 11 days from now. And they're only going to be able to get in eight regular season games and then their championship week. So they're going to play nine and teams like Notre Dame and the ACC, if they get all their games in and have the championship game, they're going to play 12. How do you feel like the, the um, playoff committee is going to reconcile 
that difference in number of games, especially when the conferences don't play each other, so it's harder to compare right. them. Well, guys, get ready to hear the term eye test. <laughs> get ready to hear that term like a billion times between now and the end of the year. I hate that term. It's like, why the hell do we play the games if we're going off eye test? So how about we just take the, each team – look at them in, during camp for a couple weeks and say, oh, I think that team looks better than that team, and we'll give them the championship. How's that sound? <laughs> I, I, so, obviously, the fact that Notre Dame is going to have more chances to play games uh, versus some of the Big Ten teams, I, I can already see it happening. You know, Notre Dame you know, maybe loses, comes out of the season with one loss, but then there's a undefeated Penn State team or undefeated Ohio State team, and it's going to be, well, I think Ohio State in a, some sort of – philosophical manufactured game. I think they just look better, and, and so they're better than Notre Dame. I, I don't know. I, I think you got to look at the games, and it's obviously harder to do that uh, when it's Ohio State. But uh, I, I'm hoping the committee values the fact that, you know, th these kids are on the field and, va and, and evaluates those performances just instead of the hypotheticals. Rocky, I'm, I'm curious, just uh, as a former NFL player, have you been locked into the NFL games, and what have you thought of how – the NFL season has developed for teams right now. Yeah, it, it's a little harder to get totally locked in just because I'm so you know dialed in with college. But obviously, I you know I watched on on Sundays and it's been it's been tremendous. I mean, first of all, the thing that jumps out is is the young quarterbacks. I mean, I live here in Cincinnati and everyone has Burrow mania, and if it yeah. wasn't for him, everyone would there'd be pitchforks and torches at the uh, Paul Brown <laughs> Stadium right now. But um, and he's been fantastic uh, without a, a great supporting cast. Everyone's very fired up about him. Then, you know, you see Justin Herbert on Monday Night Football looks amazing. You know, you're seeing some of these young quarterbacks out there that are, that are looking really well. So I think that's a cool thing for the league. Uh, you know, you're a Chargers fan. You're a Bengals fan. You're saying, God, for the next 10 years, I'm looking like uh, our, I feel pretty good about our quarterback situation. So, so that's been cool. And then, um, you know, just, you know, just, just watching some of these offenses – I love watching the Chiefs offense, and I'm jealous of it because we don't have anything that looks like that at all here in Cincinnati with the creativeness that, you know, Eric Bieniemy has. And, I mean, the God, they're doing a double. I saw that a couple weeks ago they did like a double reverse, and then he did like a shovel, underhand shovel pass thing. I was like, I've never seen that play in my life. But I like the creativity. I, I think it's fun, and uh, I'm happy the league is, is off to a great start here. Speaking of being in Cincinnati, the Bearcats are climbing in the polls, and I wonder if you think they're for real, if they're a team that could play in a New Year's Six Bowl and, and hold their own. Eric, they're, they're for real in that, I mean, they do something that not a lot of teams, in, certainly in the American Conference, and, and this year not in, in college football in general, don't do it. They, they play defense. They have a really good defense. Um, you know, um, Marcus Peterson, the, um, uh, the, uh, the defensive coordinator, did, does a great job. And um, so I, that, that bodes well for them. Their offensive line is, is good. The, the head-scratching thing, though, that may ultimately be their, their uh, downfall, though, is the quarterback, Desmond Ritter, is not developed. Uh, you know, two years ago, he was looking like, wow, this guy's going to be something special. Then last year, he regressed a little bit. And you know, took some shots and, okay, we got to fix the offensive line a little bit, and they've done that. And he just not has not taken that next step, as they say. So that's a little bit concerning. As you guys well know, the, the quarterback drives the ship uh, in, in college football and in football in general. So I think uh, Luke Fickle would certainly like to see, 
his quarterback, Desmond Ritter, take the next step. You know, I again, back to this, though, I think the Bearcats were ranked – I don't know if they are this week or if that's been put out yet, but they were 11 last week. Ohio State was number two, and they've not played a game, so I don't know. I don't really know what that means. But uh, anyway, I think they're uh, they're certainly going to uh, going to vie for uh, you know being uh, the number one team there in the American Conference. Rocky, earlier this year, you released a book, Rocky's Rules: A Playbook for Becoming Your Best in Challenging Times. How how did that come about, and what were you hoping to? Uh, I guess get across to readers with, with your with your book. Yeah, thank you for asking, Tyler. Yeah, it's uh, I published it. Came out in August, and so just kind of a brief, you know, kind of rundown of how the book came to be. I, uh, you know, I'm a pretty principled guy, right? I'm an old school principled guy. I think we have to have principles in life, and I've leaned on those um, that have helped me in my life when things are tough and you're going through challenges and things like that. So I started to think about you know, what, what are my rules for life, right? What, what are just the kind of the core things that I think are, are key to being not just a successful person, but someone that contributes well to society, someone that just kind of does the right thing and, and, and someone that is, you know, or something that can help people get through some things that are going through. So, I, I mean, for the past couple of years, I've, I've always, you know, I, I think about that and I would, you know, I'd send myself a text message or I'd write something down or I'd, you know, scribble something. And all the, for, so for a couple of years, I was developing a, a data bank of just a, a bunch of principles and things I live by. And then I started thinking about, well, how did I learn that lesson, right? And then oftentimes it was an experience I had in football, largely in the NFL, that helped me kind of solidify that principle. So for instance, so in every chapter in the book, there's 11 chapters and every one is a, a certain one of my rules to live by. For instance, chapter one, is called a prepare and one day your chance will come. And it goes through, you know, I'd always prepared well in my life and um, kind of got away from that uh, my second year in the league. Um, but we kind of was, was encouraged by a coach to get back on track. And I was frustrated because I wasn't the starting linebacker and I thought I deserved to be. So, you know, I'm, I'm upset and I'm like, screw this. And, uh, you know, I talked to my coach and he kind of got my mindset back. And long story short, a uh, month in the season, linebacker ahead of me goes down. I have a great game against Pittsburgh, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. And the point was, you know, I, I'd prepared for that moment. And, you know, and how sick would I have been had that moment come and I not been ready for it because I didn't prepare. And I just think the, the lesson for everyone is I know there's folks that are frustrated. I'm sure there's frustrated uh, sports writers out there. They're like, how come my article isn't getting printed and that guy's is? I'll hell with this. Why do I – why do I even keep putting the work in? Well, the lesson is, you know, keep preparing, keep grinding, doing what you're doing, because your, your chance, your opportunity will come. That's not the question. It's just a question of what are you going to do when it does come? So it's things like that, you know, and it, I relate it to, again, it's experiences I had in the NFL, largely failures, you know, things that I, that I went through, but now have helped me through my life. And I, I can relate, I relate that to how the everyday person can maybe use those rules to help them in theirs. Uh, the my last question is a two-parter. One is, did I see that Urban Meyer gave it a rave review? And then the second part is, where can people find us on Amazon or do you have a website? Yeah, very good. Well, so quick, quick story. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, Urban Meyer was a wide receiver and special teams coach at Notre Dame. Well, he, he recruited me. I, I got this great picture I got to send you guys of high school Rocky Boyman. I got my, you know, St. X letter jacket on. I got the high tight fade. 
And on the right of me is Bob Davey. And on the left of me is a young Urban Meyer. It's the best picture ever. <laughs> and um, I, I got to hunt that thing down. But, uh, yeah, and he, Urban liked me fr from the get-go. He was a special teams coach, and, and you know, that was many years ago. But I was one of the few players that didn't redshirt that year. I played as a freshman because Urban Meyer knew what I was going to give him, that I was going to give him everything I had. I was going to go knock someone's face off. I was going to be tough, <laughs> and I was going to give him everything I had on special teams. So he wanted me out there. Um, and he and I have kind of remained close over the years, obviously covering college football. So, you know, we, we talk um, – I don't want to say often, but we, we, we talk, uh, you know, a random call here and there. And, you know, his son is down here at, the, at UC. So when he comes to town, we get together and have some dinner and hang out and talk. So, anyway, I – you know, I, I, you know, I'd sent him a couple of chapters of the book and he said, man, I, I think this is great. And he wanted to write a, uh, an acknowledgement for the book. And then he wanted to put in that, that tweet out there, which was very, very kind. Um, I, I think Urban and I are, you know, again, he's a, he's a, he's a principled guy. I am as well. So I think we align, we align well on that sort of thing. And, uh, the book is, it's available on my website, therockyboyman.com, uh, or also on Amazon, just type in Rocky's rules. It's 20 bucks, and, and I think for the price of a couple of lattes, you can get a book that's uh, really going to be good, I think, especially for younger people. You know, someone's making a transition from maybe high school to college or college to the business world of just some lessons that can help us all in these very, very challenging times we're all living in right now. All right, Rocky, that's all we got for you. I appreciate you, uh, you taking time to talk to us, and uh, good luck and stay safe the rest of the season, all right? Tyler, Eric, you guys are the best, man. Enjoy your coverage and uh, keep it up, and I uh, hope to talk to you guys again soon. Thank you. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame Louisville. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under two and a half catches for Javon McKinley. Well, Brian Kelly seemed to be very supportive that this was not going to be a one-hit wonder for Javon this year. And I think some of that was just encouraging him to get the best out of him. And I think some of it he believes that he's a better player than he's shown. Uh, but I think this game, just having watched Louisville play some against Georgia Tech, they were, they were getting beat deep in that game by that freshman quarterback at Georgia Tech Sims. I think this is more of a Braden Lindsey game. Uh, so I'm going to go under with the Javon catches. All right. I, I'm going to go over. I, I agree with you about the Kelly thing. Um, what, I don't know if it was clear to everyone or everyone had got the proper context of the quote, but when Brian Kelly's talking about Javon McKinley being a beast, Javon McKinley was sitting there right in front of him in the interview room waiting for him to, to uh, uh, talk to the media after uh, Brian Kelly did. Um, so there was, there was definitely direct encouragement to Javon McKinley right there in terms of trying to get him to play that way. But I just don't think it, – it doesn't seem like they're going to take him off the field much. And so I think the opportunity for him to get catches will continue to be there. Now, I don't, I don't know that it's going to be another game like it was against Florida State, but I do think he'll, have, he'll be able to get at least three catches this week. And I think if they can continue to build that um, relationship between him and Ian Book – which they should have considering they've been here with each other the entire time at Notre Dame. Um, I think, uh, I think they'll, they'll take advantage of that. So I will go over. Yeah. What, what I, you know, when I was asking Brian about Kevin Austin and he explained that as they were bringing him back, they were bringing him back as a boundary receiver, which is the position Javon plays. He, he also alluded to the fact that 
Austin's probably going to move around the formation some. Right. My question is, what does that look like? Is he still going to play some boundary? Is he going to play in the slot? Is he going to share time with Lindsey? Uh, I, I would think that you'd want to try to get all three of those guys on the field at the same time if you're committed to uh, Javon. So um, I, I think that's one of the things that are be I'll be looking for on Saturday is how that Kevin Austin integration is going to work out because they're certainly committed to it. Sure. Yeah. And maybe they can play Brad Lindsay in the slot too. That would be interesting. I would be, I would be yeah. to see that. So, um, all right, let's move on to the next one. Will Ian book run for a touchdown against Louisville? Well, you know, he's starting to climb the list in terms of career rushing touchdowns for a quarterback. And it seems like Tommy likes to do that with Ian uh, near the goal line, whether it be just a sneak or have him run, you know, he wants to use the offensive line to his advantage in that situation. And it seems to be working. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I'm going to go with yes too. I think that it's something they, that Notre Dame trusts is something that Ian book is comfortable doing. And I think they'll have plenty of opportunities in terms of scoring touchdowns um, and getting the ball near the, near the goal line. Um, so I'm going to go with yes there as well. Next one I have is over under seven and a half tackles for Kyle Hamilton. Um, I think the only way he wouldn't have more is if Louisville continues to turn the ball over and just doesn't have as many plays and possessions. I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Kyle in the passing game, probably trying to uh, you know double up on Tutu Atwell, the Louisville's really good receiver. And then I think he's going to be involved in the run game too. With Crawford back, I think it it's going to make Kyle Hamilton look even better. I think Kyle had to be a little bit of an eraser for whoever else was playing safety next to him in the game Saturday. So uh, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see him have 10 tackles. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. He's he's averaging seven and a half tackles right now with 15 tackles in two games, and it seems kind of – uh, I mean, it speaks to how good of a player Kyle Hamilton is that when you, you say eight tackles, yeah, that seems no problem. <laughs> He'll go out there and get eight tackles easily. Um, that's just how much ground he covers and how uh, um, how comfortable he is out there. So I think I'm going to go over as well. Certainly, um, I imagine Notre Dame would like to not have to rely on him as much, but I think sometimes it is a lot of the tackles he makes isn't necessarily them relying on him. He just goes and makes the play before someone else can get there. Uh, next question is, will Louisville convert more than 28% of its third downs against Notre Dame? Well, Notre Dame is second in the country in third down defense at 18% allowed. Uh, Louisville is 51st in the country in third down conversions, almost 40%, 39.7. But the other teams Notre Dame has played have all been kind of in that range, and Notre Dame's held them down. Uh, I, I thought about putting it over just because Louisville's got a lot of different weapons and their biggest problem has been turnovers, not uh, ineffectiveness. But the thing is their offensive line isn't that good. Um, and I think Notre Dame is going to get them in third and long. So I think that conversion rate is going to be low. I think it's going to be around 25%, so under. Yeah, I think 28% still doesn't seem that high to me. So I think it seems achievable for Louisville. Um, and I, I do think while Malik Cunningham might not be uh, a guy that they're going to run in the same way that Jordan Travis will, 
um, that uh, at Florida State's quarterback did. I do think he'll be able to to uh, escape and create a bit on third downs. Um, so I think that may increase their uh, conversion percentage. Um, so I'm going to go over. I don't expect it to be much higher than that, um, but I do think they have a chance of getting to that over, so I will go with yes. Um, next one is over under 140 rushing yards for Louisville. You know, I think Notre Dame at, at the end of the year in November, when they need it to be, their run defense will be the best it has been all season for them. And that's kind of how they were last year. They got gashed by Louisville and New Mexico in the first couple of games. And then their linebackers kind of figured things out. The Georgia game was a big turning point uh, in terms of figuring out run fits. I think until they get everybody healthy at the buck and figure out what the best option there is, which I think Kaiser is against the run, and he won't play in this game or maybe just a little bit. And Louisville so committed to the run. I mean, Scott Satterfield at Appalachian State, in the games that he's been at Louisville, they run the ball a lot. They're not going to give up on it. So I'm going to say over for 140. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. I think Notre Dame's best chance of limiting them to that is to get up on them big early, uh, which could certainly happen, um, and they will be less – um, likely to rely on the run as much as they would want to. Um, but I do think um, Louisville will be in the game long enough to sort of establish a running game and be able to um, pick up some yards against Notre Dame. Now, I, I don't, uh, giving up 142 yards to, to Louisville on the ground shouldn't be something that would be terribly concerning. I think Notre Dame could live with that um, as long as they're preventing some of the big plays that, that, that Louisville can get in the running game. Next – or last one for us, what, what, what's your final score prediction for Notre Dame-Louisville? Well, I don't think Louisville's defense is very good. I think their two inside linebackers are good, and they don't have a lot to go with them. Uh, again, Georgia Tech made big play after big play against them. Sometimes they were playing on a short field because the, the offense turned it over. But I think Notre Dame's going to score, so I'm going to go Notre Dame 38, Louisville 20. All right. We're, we have been pretty in the same neighborhood with a lot of our predictions this year. Uh, my prediction is Notre Dame 42, Louisville 21. So not, not very far off there. Um, I think Louisville can score a few touchdowns in this game, but I also think Notre Dame is going to be able to sort of have its way on offense. All right. Now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right. Let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First one we have, Eric, is from at Joey Salvatore. Are we attributing the defensive performance against Florida State to layoff rust and Jordan Travis providing a spark, or is there more to worry about with Clark Lee's defense heading into Louisville? I always love multiple choice questions when I was in high school. I'm not always, I like to have my right in votes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, I don't think that there's a reason to worry. I, I, and I don't know that it's necessarily rust as much as it was players really, truly not being available. Even though they were on the availability list, a lot of them were getting their releases last week, Thursday or Friday, which meant they hadn't practiced in a couple of weeks both due to them 
not being released from isolation or quarantine and or the nine day pause in practice. So I think you had, I don't think it's rust as much as their timing was off uh, and they hadn't practiced and they didn't know the game plan. And they hadn't been able to, to time up things. So, and, you know, I do think that then you had to move people around. I think Crawford did an admirable job at corner, but you weakened the safety position by moving him to corner. Right. So I, I think when I watched that game, it seemed like, Notre Dame was out of place, and I think that's fixable. I think when they have their full personnel, they, that they have momentum going, those run fits are going to be better. So that would that would be my answer there. The the thing about it is though, Louisville is going to test them. Yeah. No, they they are a turnover prone team with eleven turnovers, but Malik Cunningham last year would have finished second in the country in pass efficiency had he had enough attempts to qualify he's not nearly that so far this year Javion Hawkins was a 1500 yard rusher Tutu Atwell 1200 yards and receiving they've got three big dynamic weapons that Notre Dame's gonna have to deal with yeah and that's that's why I think there is some two things to worry about heading into Louisville and mostly it's because of Louisville I think Louisville's offense um, is dynamic and so it will present challenges for Notre Dame um, and if you believe that uh, part of the issues for the, uh, in the Florida State game were the absence of Myron Tangabailoa and Jack Kaiser, I don't know that they're going to be fixing those issues this week because I'm not sure how much, how much even if they are available to play, I don't think they're going to be in there the, the majority of snaps. Um, so I don't know that they're going to be any sort of safe. Even then, what, what's their condition going to be like? Because right. those guys were in isolation. They weren't in quarantine. Right. So it couldn't work out. Right. Yeah. So I I think that yeah. Even if they even if Notre Dame felt confident enough to put him out there, I just don't think that they would be at playing at their best um, for the majority of those snaps. Um, so I, I think that th- those are why. So there are some reasons to worry. I don't I don't think it's a full on panic or anything like that. But I think there are reasons to worry. And in terms of the Florida State game, I think I think as with most things, it's a it's a combination of all of that. Um, in terms of the layoff and, and Jordan Travis uh, playing well and presenting difficulties for Notre Dame's defense. So I think that Notre Dame has clear issues they need to address, and I think Notre Dame knows how to address them. So I think that it'll work out in the long run, but I, I'm not sure that it will. we're going to see like a shutout performance or anything against Louisville. Next question is from Josh Melton, uh, at Josh Mel with a bunch of numbers. Looks like he got a different Twitter account for us. Uh, how much of a difference do you think Kaiser, Myron Tagovailoa, and Clarence Lewis would have made on Saturday night? The defense wasn't terrific against a pretty bad team, but the circumstances were tough as well. Well, we answered it a little bit in the last question, so if I knew this was coming, I wouldn't have said as much. <laughs> uh, I think Lewis would have been a better matchup on Terry, who's 6'4 and pretty physical. Right. He either had a 5'10", 180 guy or a 5'9 guy on him. And I think Florida State took advantage of that. Uh, I think Lewis would have brought some physicality and some length to that matchup. And then the other two at full strength, I mean, they're two of the better run defenders for Notre Dame. And Florida State, I just don't think would have been able to, even though they got a lot of rushing yards from their quarterback, there were times Webb kind of gashed them a little bit too. 
And I think those two would have made a big difference there. So, yeah, I, I think certainly, and again, you know, if, if Lewis is available for more than a handful of snaps, then Crawford plays safety, and that makes them even better, too, against the run. Yeah, that, that's why, in my opinion, my, Myron and, and uh, Clarence Lewis being unavailable were the two biggest, uh, because I just feel like there's a bigger drop-off between them and, and, and sort of the, the consequences of them not being available um, with Crawford having to move out of safety that weakens the safety position. And it doesn't necessarily, even though I think you trust Sean Crawford at corner, he doesn't necessarily give you the same things that you would get from Clarence Lewis at cornerback. Um, and then with Myron, I think you're, you're, you're comfortable with Jason Adamalola as the backup there um, being moved into a starting role, but I'm not really sure that you're getting out of Howard Cross uh, enough that you, you would feel to- totally comfortable with. And I think that may have been a bit of a weakness as well against Florida state. Um, so, and obviously Jack Kaiser has the potential to play really well and show that the, the last game against USF. Um, and I, I still I want to see more from Simon and Lufau. They haven't done enough in my opinion yet to sort of warrant the continued playing time. And, uh, so I, I think that all the, the difference, I think there would have been a difference if all those guys played, obviously, um, I'm not sure how much it would have made a difference. I think probably one less touchdown at least, um, from, from Florida state's offense, but, um, I do think, uh, and I mean, it's in this hypothetical or what are, are we getting got, or are we just going to pretend that those guys didn't miss any time or they had the same sort of layoffs that other guys did. It just would have happened earlier. I think there's a kind of a, a tough way to figure out how, how those guys would have played depending on what their condition would have been going into the game. Next question is from at Hurley fever. What was the reason for not playing Jack lamb against Florida state? He played well against South Florida and the Buck linebackers didn't overly impress against FSU. Is he dealing with an injury, or is this a coaching decision? Well, he, you know, and he means playing linebacker because he did play on special teams um, a little bit. You know, I asked Brian Kelly about him right before the season started, and Brian at that point said that that hip injury that ended his season last year, ended Lamb's season last year, almost ended his career. And so they were bringing him back kind of slowly. And so they were just trying to get him comfortable on special teams and then eventually, you know, get him into the buck linebacker kind of picture and so forth. I think it's going to be hard for him to catch up at this point. I think he played in the USF game because all they had was Kaiser available besides him. Um, and, and in this last game, they, they wanted to get Simon and Lufau some, uh, some reps. So I think Jack, it'll be interesting if he can fully recover from that injury. I wouldn't count him out from surprising people down the road. I, 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 he's got an interesting skill set, being six foot four, being so good in coverage, and yet a big physical guy too. But, you know, I just don't see it in the cards for him to play a lot of linebacker for Notre Dame this year. Yeah, I had responded to Hurley when he he asked this question because I wanted to make sure he meant Jack Lamb and not Jack Kaiser because maybe it's the long layoff that we've had, but I didn't remember Jack Lamb standing out against USF necessarily. Um, then when I went and looked back at it after receiving the question, most of his contribution came in the second half. So I don't know that I put a ton of stock into – how Jack Lamb looked in the second half against USF in a blowout victory. Um, yeah, I think maybe means more in general because he was a pretty highly recruited kid. 
Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I think in answering the question about is he dealing with an injury or is this a coaching decision, I think it's a coaching decision that's informed by the belief that he's not the same as he was pre-injury. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but I, I do think the the coach the coaching staff is not comfortable yet. To, I mean, if, if they were, he would have been playing more um, against USF. He probably would have played against ahead of Jack Kaiser um, in, in an instance like that, but uh, he did not. Um, and so it wasn't surprising to me that he didn't play a lot against Florida State um, when they want they like Shane Simon and Maris Lufau and want to see what they have in those guys. And I don't know that they've blown anyone away quite yet. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What grade would you give the defense for the game, and what do you think needs to be most improved defensively moving forward? It seems like Clemson will gash that run defense unless significant improvements are made. Um, I would give them an incomplete if I had to give them a letter grade. I'd kind of grade on the curve and go B minus. Again, because you had – it was kind of a patchwork situation. Um, as far as what they need to do to improve, I mean, run defense is going to be so key to Notre Dame. They have not had a lot of good run defenses statistically – under Brian Kelly, that's they, they've been last two years. They've been lights out in pass efficiency defense, but run defense, especially against you know Clemson and North Carolina. North Carolina, woo, they can run the ball too. Um, it, it is going to be big time, and, and and I think they have the parts to be good in run defense. I think right now they just need to stay healthy from injuries and not be hit in the areas of, you know, in those areas with COVID. And, and I guess the, from my understanding, and I, and I asked Brian Kelly this last Thursday, you know, they count those guys as immune for 90 days. You know, they don't test for 90 days because they don't feel like they're likely to re be reinfected in 90 days. So, Right there, when once Kaiser comes out of this, you've got three buck linebackers for the rest of the season that you don't have to worry about getting infected. So, again, I think you're going to get some continuity. And I'm not saying that it was a positive to get the virus. I'm just saying at this point it's a, you know, it's a strange benefit that they, they do not have to worry about being reinfected. Yeah, Continuity and consistency were the words that I had wrote down in terms of what they need to improve on defensively. And I know those sound kind of like coaching buzzwords, but I think it goes a long way in terms of making this defense better because the, the run defense hasn't been bad. They're only giving up 111 rushing yards per game. Per game. It's not, I would, that, that's not a, a crisis level statistic. Um, I'm, I, there's certainly reason to be concerned about how that will fare against Travis Etienne. Um, but I think that um, Notre Dame just needs to have more consistency in the terms of like Florida State, they, this, the rushing statistics weren't overwhelming in, what, in terms of what they did against Notre Dame, but they were just kind of annoying runs. It was like at the worst times, it seems like they'd give up a, a chunk run here or there, and that would continue a drive, and, and Notre Dame would start playing on their heels a little bit after that. So in terms of the letter grade, I went with C+, plus, so I guess I'm a little bit of a – T tougher grader than you um but I, well, I said i was grading on a curve yeah yeah I, I don't know that i 
I never mastered the grading on the curves thing um, since I was always at the top of the curve, so I didn't necessarily need the curve. But <laughs> uh, so I, I think uh, I think there's definitely room for improvement to be made. Um, it's just I, I know the I know the tendency is to say, okay, what what am I seeing now, and how will that look against Clemson? But and I think you kind of have thought about this too. I, I we're not going to necessarily see what it. it is going to look like against Clemson until Notre Dame sort of gets things back on track and, and doing things in, in a more normal sense and, and avoiding any more COVID setbacks. It's just, it's just tough to see sort of what this team can be by, by November 7th um, right, right now. And, and I honestly think again, that people think this comes down to one game season. I actually think the whole month of November, because the whole Dracovic thing is going to be crazy yeah, and, and they're they're overachieving. I mean, their offensive line isn't very good. He he must miss those guys because, but he gets hit a lot. Um, yeah, I think I think I think it's a genuine concern if he can make it to the Notre Dame game. Right. But I'll tell you what. I mean, North Carolina. I don't know. I don't know that they're very good defensively, but offensively, whew. Yeah, they're they can they can get into a track meet with you. Yeah, the Notre Dame isn't going to have necessarily an opportunity to exhale after that Clemson game. They're just going to, they're going to have to to bear down after that, whether they win or lose. Next question is from Dave Hodges at Big underscore D Hodges. What would you ha- or excuse me, what would have been wrong with scoring on the last drive? I don't think anything would be wrong. Um, I think had Notre Dame wanted to be a little bit more creative, they could have gotten into the end zone, and certainly they didn't you know, kick a field goal, they they thought, well, if we can just kind of run an obvious play and get into the end zone, let's do that. Because Florida State was calling timeouts because Mike Norvell wanted to wanted them to stop Notre Dame. He didn't want the clock to run out. Right. So he, he wanted to make a point with his team to try to stop him. So I don't think, you know, that he would have said, boy, they were running up the score because they were calling timeouts so that Notre Dame – could try to score right yeah I the first time I th- uh, read this I didn't even consider like did he mean why didn't they kick a field goal rather than score a touchdown I assume he meant score a touchdown um but I, I think Notre Dame was trying to score I mean they weren't they weren't going to pull out their best goal line play in a, in a game that they didn't need that at a, at a moment in a game where it didn't matter and give up a, a future play that people would have on film for them down the line so that they ran some pretty uh, basic running plays, but the running plays worked the whole way down the field to get them onto near the goal line on that last drive. So I, I don't know that they were not trying to score and giving the ball to Chris Tyree twice from the two yard line, and he wasn't able to score either time. So I think uh, I think they were trying to score. I don't know that they were packing it in or anything. Certainly, they probably could have been more creative, and and, and but I, I just don't think I don't see the benefit of of wasting a, a good play. Um, that maybe you want to keep in your back pocket um, to score in a situation like that. Next question is from Samuel Ramirez at Samuel27RC. What's your opinion so far of the defensive line? Do you think they should have more sacks or be better against the run? I like where they're headed. I don't think that they've arrived yet. Um, They're tied for 18th in the country in sacks at three per game. It's interesting because the ACC has eight teams in the top 18 in sacks. They also have reflected of that since they're playing each other. 
six of the worst teams at protecting their quarterback. So, um, and then run defense, I mean, they've been okay to this point. You know, I think I'd like to see some more production out of Dalen Hayes when he's in the game. Yep. Um, and then I also think guys that are maybe a little bit more niche players like Ogie, uh, Ovi, 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 Agofu. Yeah. I, I'll just combine his two names and call him Ogie. Um, and and Isaiah Foskey, I think you'll see them kind of round out their games as the season goes on and become more dominant and be able to use their speed in the run game too. Uh, so I, I like the arc of where they're going. I mean, they're not there yet. Um, but, you know, pass rush, I have no qualms with that. And I think they'll get three or four sacks this week. Uh, against Louisville. Yeah, I would say the defensive line has been good, and they haven't been great yet. Um, I think the line seems to be more reliant on Isaiah Foskey than I would have anticipated or than it probably should be. Um, he didn't play as much as, as normal it seemed against Florida State, um, so maybe he was um, either in quarantine or isolation at some point, um, and that prevented them from using him as much or limited him a little bit. Um, I agree with you on Dalen Hayes. I'm not sure – how much he's giving you and what the value of that is versus other guys. And if they need to rotate him more, maybe, or maybe back, maybe switch him, switch roles where where maybe Foskey comes in first and Dalen comes in second or something, figure out a different way to use him. But I I do think the pass. And also, I mean, they're averaging nine tackles for loss per game. Um, So obviously that is aided by the linebackers too. the linebackers make some of those plays behind the line of scrimmage, but that usually that has a lot to do with the linemen taking up blocks that allow the linebackers to come free. So I think that I think they um, can be better in both of those areas, but I don't know that they're going to be a lot better in both those areas. And I think they are they are like I mentioned, good, but they're not great yet. And I think they have the potential to get there. I'm just not sure exactly what those combinations will be to to get them there. Next one we have is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah three. Do you feel Notre Dame will employ a spy for Malik Cunningham? Also, why can't Notre Dame's linebackers shed blockers instead of trying to wrestle the offensive line? Um, they might spy on certain downs. They did it with Jeremiah Wusukormoa with Jordan Travis at times in the Florida state game. And they may want to do something a little bit different you know, having the dynamic of Louisville's offense is a little bit different because you have an elite running back uh, in JV on Hawkins that you didn't have on the Florida State team. So I'm not sure that you could afford to do that. So I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and I'm not sure it's necessary. I, you know, Travis, I think, is more dangerous runner than Cunningham is even though Cunningham has two first names, um, <laughs> McHale and Malik. Um, and then the second part of it is why don't they shed blocks and instead of wrestling with the guys? Is that what it was? Yeah. Well, I think that that's what they're trying to do. And I think once you have your best personnel on the field, it'll look more like shedding blocks. But um, I'm not sure how to answer that. I'll, I'll leave that to Tyler since he probably <laughs> wrestled. Uh, I did not wrestle, but I did. I was an offensive lineman that wrestled with linebackers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, 
I, I think it, first in terms of a spot, I think they will at times probably, and I would imagine that will be limited to uh, third downs when it comes to spying Malik Cunningham. Um, as for the, the shedding blockers part, I've always felt that that is uh, something that comes with experience. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, if you watch star linebackers in high school, um, you'll see them shooting a lot of gaps and running people down, and you're not necessarily going to see a lot of them fighting off blocks because they're fast enough and smart enough and the offensive line they're going against aren't good enough to get in their ways at, at a high enough rate where they're, they're actually tested in terms of shedding blockers. Um, if you watch Bo Bauer, <laughs> Bo Bauer's film in high school, he was just a missile running around blowing up plays because he, there weren't many guys that could get in front of him by the time he was getting into the gap. So, um, and he was smart enough to know what was coming. And, and certainly you're playing against less, uh, uh, less creative offensive schemes in, in high school too. So that might be easier to predict. Um, but, but so that I think the fighting off blocks thing is something you learn a lot more of in, in college. Um, and Notre Dame is playing with some inexperienced linebackers right now, especially at the buck linebacker position. Um, so you, you can't just run around and avoid uh, your run fit either. You have a responsibility that if you need to be in this lane or this gap, you can't just run around the the, the spot because the offensive lineman is there. You, sometimes you, your responsibility is to fight them and make sure that that gap isn't isn't given up. So that's I, that's part of my hesitance on uh, crowning Jack Kaiser. Now I think I guess I should mention last week I was definitely off base based off some incorrect information we were given about whether or not he was was going to be available or not for last week's game and he he indeed wasn't available as though I thought he, he would be um, and that the depth chart wasn't necessarily reflective of that um, now I still think Jack when he gets back um, needs to prove more about the shedding blockers part I think a lot of what he did against USF was because he could avoid getting blocked by the bad offensive lineman that USF has um, and Jack's not the biggest guy yet. He has some room to grow in terms of strength and development. Um, so I, I want to see what, what that looks like against better offensive lines. Um, but I think he certainly has earned an opportunity. And, and we'll, I don't know that we'll see that this week because of him coming back this week. Uh, we'll start to see it more later down the road. But I think that's kind of my at least viewpoint on the shedding blockers uh, dilemma there. Next question is from Douglas at Oogler E5. Is Jordan Johnson working on his traits this season, or will we get to see him do some real work in a game at some point? I'd like to see him use that five-star talent. Um, I don't know whether he's working on his traits still. Uh, we have not got a traits report on that. But I think his window isn't as open as it was maybe a month ago to try to work his way into the rotation. I think there are other priorities right now. There's the priority of seeing what you really have in Javon McKinley. I think the priority now is getting Kevin Austin up to his full speed, getting Braden Lindsay more integrated. I mean, Braden showed the things that Braden said he wanted to show. He showed in the Florida state game. He wasn't just a deep threat. He could do the other routes. Um, you know, how much is Jordan Johnson a priority over Avery Davis or Lawrence Keyes or Ben Skoranek when he's healthy? Right. So he's got a lot of people that he's competing for playing time with. I just don't see him being a priority right now. Now, again, he may go off and practices later in the season and kind of force their hand to take a second look, but I just don't think that that's where they are with him right now. 
Yeah, Brian Kelly already mentioned that Jordan had work to do uh, earlier this year, so that's that's sort of been established that whether you want to call it traits or just being used to being a college football player and student, um, there was some development that needed to happen there. Um, so I think in, in order for him to get on the field, that needs to happen. Um, he's got to create some trust with the coaching staff. And then I would think in terms of the route to the playing field, things would need to continue to go poorly for Ben Skoranek and Joe Wilkins. Ben hasn't been able to kind of get rid of this hamstring injury so far. Um, and Joe Wilkins uh, dropped a, a key pass against against Florida State this past week, and now certainly he had better moments earlier in the season. Um, so if those guys, if if Notre Dame can't rely on those guys, then maybe that creates a window of opportunity for Jordan that hasn't been there quite yet. Um, but I do think that, um, like you mentioned, Kevin Austin and Javon McKinley and Braden Lindsay are going to be more important in this offense, and it's, it, they need to spend the time getting those guys on the right page than and trying to force a freshman into the lineup who um, Notre Dame, at least to this point, hadn't trusted uh, to put in there yet. Um, next question is from Loyal Son at Show Me Monty. What changed for the offensive line versus last year? Great pass pro, but lacked big push in the run game. Is it Tommy's scheme or is it Chris Watts' nasty mentality? How about that O-line depth? Has Gibbons come out of nowhere or were there rumblings? Um. Well, I think it's not just one thing that that has them playing better. I think I think you know, just having talked to Aaron Taylor, I think uh, being more committed to zone blocking over the pin and pull stuff, and but being able to be multiple and, and do both, I think helps. You know, Aaron seemed to think that zone blocking helps you become more aggressive in your run blocking as a team. And so I'll, I'll lean on his expertise there and, and copy the answer off of his paper on that one. I think that Tommy Reese's commitment to, to running the ball was important. And I think doing some creative things. I mean, we didn't see a lot of counter plays with Chip Long. And Notre Dame seems to be able to execute it at least with the you know the two backs that are at the top of their depth chart. You know Tony Dungy was calling for more, more, more counter in the game. Um, so I, I just think that there's a lot of reasons why the offensive line looks better, uh, but certainly they had the material to be good all along, and and now they're showing it. They may be the best offensive line in the country. There are some offensive lines that haven't started yet, like the ones in the Big Ten and the Pac-12, so we'll have to get a look at them. But of the 76 teams that are playing, you know, they've consistently graded out the highest uh, through pro football focus at this point. Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of funny that he mentioned all the different things that of why they could be better and didn't mention the offensive line coach, Jeff Quinn. Um, I think we got to give him some credit, too. Um I don't know that Chris Watts mentality would make that much of an impact as a GA. I don't know. Like if you're Liam Eikenberg or Aaron Banks or Jared Patterson, are you playing harder because of uh, what, what Chris Watt is telling you? I, I don't know. I think, I think the players have improved. Um, they, they took it upon themselves. They didn't like the way it played out last season in terms of the run and blocking. Um, I think the blocking schemes matter. It, it, 
discussing and evaluating offensive line play is, is hard because there's five different guys and every single one of those guys needs to be doing their job the right way in order for them to set up uh, a, a good running attack for the team. And, and then you throw tight ends in the mix, you throw wide receivers in the mix. Um, it, it all works together. Um, so I think uh, those guys got better. I thought Aaron Banks and Jarrett Patterson were players last year that were getting more praise than I thought they deserved based on their play last year. Um, and this year, Tommy Kramer too. He was all American. Yeah. Well, yeah. We've got the Tommy Kramer thing is is I've already been past that. We've been gone over that for for a long time. Um, so yeah, but I think all those guys are playing better this year. I, I think for sure Aaron Banks and Jarrett Patterson are playing better. I I don't know that I'm Tommy Tommy Kramer has made as big of a leap as I feel like those guys have this year so far. Um, but I do think he's playing better as well. I think everyone's playing better. I think even Aaron Robert Hainsey is playing better now than he was at the beginning of the season. So I, I think um, these guys are making improvements um, and that the credit goes to those guys and it goes to their coaches and it goes to the schemes. It all, it all, it all works together in terms of offensive line depth. I'm not ready to celebrate that yet. I still think it's okay to be a little bit nervous when uh, some, uh, a guy like Liam Meikenberg goes out of the game um, though. They certainly played well in the second quarter without him. Um, Gibbons was a surprise. Um, he's been injured a bit throughout his career, and um, I don't know that any of us believe that he had proven that he was better than Josh Lugg in, in, in almost any position, but they felt comfortable with putting him at left guard, even though jo uh, Josh Lugg has played some guard before. Um, but they've been keeping Josh Lugg at, at, on the right side, and they felt that it was best to put Aaron Banks out at left tackle and bring Gibbons in than to try and just put Josh Lugg in at left tackle. So I think that's an interesting – Decision. I, I, it's curious to me what that means about Josh Lugg. I, I don't know that I 100% buy the right left thing. I think if Josh Lugg can play tackle, he can play left or right tackle in a pinch like like that. So well, I mean, Brian had mentioned that he had worked at right guard that particular week that Kramer was banged up. So maybe it was that. Yeah, but even then, like I mean, Josh Lugg is a, an experienced enough player that I feel like he could handle. It. It's not like it was a it was a sophomore that would have been playing for the first time that needed okay. practice that week. So I would have thought they would have had more trust in Josh Lugg to do that, but they obviously had the trust in Dylan Gibbons to do that. And if that's the case, that's fine. If he, if Gibbons can play as well as he did against uh, Florida state in that limited window, then they'll be okay. If, if they need him, I don't, I don't know if that would be the decision. If there was a, a long-term decision, um, I, I think Josh Lugg may, may have something to say about that, but Gibbons played well in one quarter of action. I think that's good for him. He's been here a while and has, hasn't had a lot of playing opportunities, and he's a big kid, and if he's healthy, he should be able to push some guys around like he did. We'll see, and I, I didn't think it was a question of Lug going in at left tackle. I thought the question – see, that's – I read it differently. That well, yeah, I mean, they could, they could have gone in any number of different – Yeah, they could have put him at left guard. Right, yeah, they could have done that too. Right, yeah. I agree. Um so, but I, I would I would have thought no matter who I mean because I mean just in my opinion I thought no matter who goes down I think Josh Lugg's coming in the game except maybe center I think maybe they feel better about Zeke Carell now than they they have in the past um, obviously he's only a sophomore so he's bigger he's he's in a better spot now but uh, so I, I think they could have done any number of things and I, I would not have predicted Dylan Gibbons would have been that guy but good for him that he. And, I mean, some of that has to do with we didn't get to see any practice this year, so we have no idea what the backup offensive lineman looked like in practice because we didn't get to see any of it. So um, I, I think that um, 
it was a it was a surprise, but it was a pleasant surprise given the way that Dylan kind of played pretty well when he was out there. Next one is from Christian Bogan at C underscore Bogan under or 1989. I can't remember our running backs ever being this good. They don't go down after first contact. Their acceleration is speed and speed is awesome. Plus they have excellent balance and agility. How much fun are you having watching this run game develop and how much credit should coach Taylor get? Okay. How much fun? Uh, I'm having lots of fun because people aren't asking me why the running game stinks <laughs> and I won't have to come up with the answers. And then how much credit should uh, coach Taylor get? Well, I mean, he helped recruit Chris Tyree and right. he, I think has been good with the running backs. And I think I give him credit for turning the depth chart upside down. Right. You know, I, I think it was hard to say Jafar, you're not, one or two and you may not be three right and so you know so so he deserves some credit there but there's a lot of credit to go around again I think Tommy Reese through three games has been very creative in what he's done in the run game in terms of his calls and in terms of just what Notre Dame does now again people are going to study those new kind of ways that Notre Dame is running the ball and try to stop those but and scout those and so forth, but so far. And I think the running backs themselves deserve credit. Right. You know, Chris Tyree, I remember talking to him in May, and I said, you know, there's some of these people in the recruiting analyst business don't think you're going to be able to play as a freshman. And boy, was he ready to show people that he was. And then Kyron Williams transforming his body. I know uh, Brian Kelly got a question about it yesterday, and Matt Bayless has done some great things with Kyron Williams, but it, it started with Kyron Williams. Kyron, especially during the early part of COVID, you know, he found a place where he could work out. He, he got the right things with nutrition when he wasn't around the nutritionist at Notre Dame. And I'm not saying that they weren't doing their job. It's just he had the wake-up call himself to get better, and then he enlisted supports both away from Notre Dame and at Notre Dame to get there. Yeah, players could handle how Kyron Williams' freshman season went a lot differently than it seems like Kyron Williams handled it. So he deserves credit for being able to not get discouraged, take the take the offseason to improve himself and figure out what he needed to do to be better and put, him in, put himself in position. Um, and I think uh, the same goes for Chris Tyree, and I think Lance Taylor deserves credit for helping and making sure those guys know what they need to do and getting them ready to play this year and yeah, I think I agree. I mean, the Jafar Armstrong thing, we, we didn't necessarily anticipate this happening with Jafar being basically a, not much of a playing much of a role at all in terms of the running game. Um, and certainly when you make those kinds of decisions, that can kind of shake things up and um, maybe the room doesn't react the way you want it to. And it seems like it's worked out for Notre Dame and Lance Taylor has, has navigated that well. Um, so I think uh, uh, Notre Dame has a bright future at running back. I, I, I don't know that <laughs> can't. I don't know how long Christian Bogan's memory goes back in terms of never remembering Notre Dame's running backs being this good. But I would imagine Notre Dame's had better running backs before um, than what these guys are doing. But they're not to take anything away from what they're doing right now because they are playing really well um, and have, have made a big impact on this offense. Next one is from email. An email from Ken in Pensacola. You can't read any sports commentary without mention of Clemson and how great they are. 
So with the Notre Dame or with the November Clemson game at Notre Dame, how do you keep this team focused on the other games before the November seventh showdown? Um, I I don't think they're going to have a problem with that, um, especially with everything they've gone through and just trying to get a full team back on the field. I think you've got you've got their attention, and and certainly not you know blowing out Florida State by fifty points. I think you know, got their attention too. I, I haven't seen any signs of them being complacent or just, you know, thinking that the Clemson game is their whole season. And it, it, this has been a mature group with everything that they've done pretty much since since this whole world got turned upside down in March. So uh, I don't anticipate them looking ahead to Clemson. I think the difficult game – the trap game becomes Boston College um, in November because that's whatever happens in the Clemson game, whether it's a huge win or a disappointing loss, they have to play at Boston College the next week, and then they have North Carolina their next game after a bye. So I, I think that's the game where I would worry about their focus. Yeah, I mean, I understand that, but like – do you think these guys really want to lose to Phil Dracovic? I think they'd be pretty focused on that. Unless they don't like the book and they thought Phil should have been here. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I, I don't think that they're going to do that. I just think after the Clemson game, there's going to be a reaction. You know, they're either going to be, okay, get together and make sure we get into the championship game, get another shot at them, or there's going to be a hangover of, hey, we're the best team in the country because we just beat number one. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's hard. Yeah. I, I've, I've expressed my concern that I think teams are going to deal with some sort of mental and physical fatigue by the end of the season, just because this is such a demanding year for players. Yeah. Regular season games all the way to the middle of December. Right. But I, I but I don't think that's good to me. That's not related to like overlooking who you're playing this week and, and yeah. not focusing on one. I think it's that's easy to do this year in terms of keeping everyone's focus because it's pretty obvious that nothing is guaranteed beyond the week that you're in. Like Javon McKinley said when they when they were shutting down practice, like, am I going to play another football game again? Like that that's the reality these kids are dealing with is they don't know like anything is promised to them beyond what they're doing. And I know that's sometimes people talk about that's the kind of the life they want to live or that's the way you treat things day by day or whatever. But I think this year more than any, um, it's 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 the reality of the situation that you're in that you need to be locked in on making the best of what you have in front of you because you don't know how long it, it could can sort of be in front of you beyond that. So I think uh, Notre Dame shouldn't have that concern. I'm not concerned about that. Um, I don't think they're going to be overlooking teams before November 7th. Next question is from Chris Buckley at Topher 15. Once Notre Dame starts traveling to a road game next week, do you know specifically what COVID protocols will be in place for traveling? I talked to Jack Swarbrick about this in the summer. Um, so I know a little bit about it. I mean, one of the things is, you know, usually they would check into the hotel on Friday night and then they families and friends would come visit them at the hotel before they got in their meetings and their curfews and stuff. That's not going to happen. There will be absolutely no visitors if they stay Friday. There may even be a game or games where they go up and back 
in one day. And Pittsburgh could certainly be one of them. It's a 50-minute flight in the air from South Bend to Pittsburgh. Um, and that's a 3.30 game. And, and certainly you're coming back after the game, so they could do that. As far as how they're going to space out in the locker rooms and so forth, I, I, you know, I think we'll get into that next week because that'll be the first road game, and then we'll have those kind of questions. Somebody else wanted me to ask Brian this week, and I just – I know they're working on it, but I, I think, you know, I had – since our questions are pretty limited, I had other questions I wanted to ask other than what the road game protocol was going to be. Yeah, yeah, we don't know a ton of those details yet, um, and I think we'll probably learn more about it next week. But they are definitely working on them and planning around them. Brian Kelly even mentioned that he knows we have <laughs> – he knows they're playing at Pittsburgh next week because they've already had to talk about some of the travel logistics and all that stuff. So I think um, they are working around that. I would imagine a lot of it has to do with maybe some increased communication with the host team about, okay, what does your locker room setup look like? Now it helps Notre Dame. Notre Dame's played all at these venues before that they were going to be traveling to. Um, but I, I, do, I guess except for Georgia Tech, somewhat recently, I mean, um, they haven't played at Georgia Tech in, in recent years, but – um, I think that um, they'll probably have to increase the communication to make sure they have an understanding of what, what, what it'll look like once they get to the stadium. But, yeah, they're going to be very careful about traveling and where they're staying and making sure people aren't uh, doing much beyond the, the required uh, travel uh, um, and, and lodging that they, that they will be uh, using to, to get in and out of the, those destinations. One thing they won't have to work on is hand signals to get over the crowd noise. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be helpful. Uh, next question is from Dan Byrne at the underscore Danimal. Any chance Notre Dame loosens its stadium capacity restrictions a bit before November 7th? If you ever watch Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin, the Great Pumpkin never shows up, I think. So that's not, <laughs> that's not happening. You know, I think they're happy with their bubble concept or their semi-bubble concept of allegedly just having students and faculty and staff and family and friends and just keeping the crowd size down. Um, I just don't see why they would want to do that, especially with school being really close to the end of the semester. Now for the Syracuse game in terms of who's going to be let in since there won't be students on campus, I think they, they may look at letting some general public from the area in. Here, here's the problem in terms of upping that number beyond, even up to 15,525, which they haven't been close to yet, is that the infection rate both in Indiana and St. Joe County are going up. Notre Dame's done a great job. I think their active cases today was at 29, uh, which is, is pretty darn good. Known active cases but St. Joe County is spiraling up. Uh, Indiana is setting records for cases day after day right now. So unless that really changed here quickly, there's just no basis to, to even consider it. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement there. I, like you mentioned, I, I have some – or kind of hinted at I have some questions about how strict they're being about who's getting in the game, whether in regards to – faculty and staff and friends and family around the, around the student athletes. Um, but I think that I don't know that we're going to see a numbers increase. Now, maybe that maybe they're being less strict than it sounded like they were going to be um, in terms of 
you needed to be a faculty or staff member or you needed to be living with them to get in the game. Uh, but I, but maybe that uh, – I don't know if that's changed or if people are skirting the rules and Notre Dame is not aware of it. I don't know how that's all working out or, or if those are instances that are, that are regularly occurring um, based off some, some anecdotes here or there. But I, I just don't see them – you would think they would at least want to get closer to that maximum they've already put on the on their on their stadium attendance which they haven't got to yet before they would even uh loosen the stadium capacity restrictions to what they are so i think um i just don't see that happening come november 7th at this point and the last one comes from our old friend mike varell at mike varell who should the white Sox hire to be their next manager and which member of the nd press corps would theoretically do the best and worst job in that role well, I'm going to let you answer most of this because I think this question is for you and not for me. I just think that the person that would probably campaign for the job the hardest would be Tim Priester because he coached high school baseball. I don't know if he'd do the best job or not. Um, and I'm not going to say who do would do the worst job because I don't want people uh, toilet papering my house right now because toilet paper is plentiful. So I'll leave that to you, Tyler. Uh, well, in terms of the actual job, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you saw that they're mentioning Tony La Russa, Eric. I'm sure you have some feelings about that. What are your thoughts on the White Sox hiring Tony La Russa? I think he's a very good manager who probably wouldn't be great in that role at this point right. in his life. So I think if you could transport the St. Louis version of Tony La Russa or even the White Sox version of Tony La Russa, that's a pretty good hire. Yeah, you need a time machine. Uh, I, I I don't as a White Sox fan, I don't love the idea that AJ Hinch is getting thrown out there, or Alex Cora, the guys that were connected to cheating scandals with that. <laughs> um, I, it's just I, I don't. I'm not really ready to twist myself into that moral pretzel yet. So uh, Sandy Almar is a guy that's with the Indians that was a White Sox before a player, um, and I think. The Indians certainly like him, so it might be hard to get him away from the Indians. Um, he filled in as the the manager when Terry Francona wasn't able to be there this year. Um, so that would be a guy that I like. But I, I don't know. Managing is, is uh, like I, I've obviously shared my opinions on coaching, uh, how I feel it's hard to predict. I think ma- baseball manager is probably the hardest thing to predict of who's going to be good with that because I, sometimes you don't even know how much of an impact they're having, and you only really know when they're making bad bullpen decisions if they're doing a bad job. Um, in terms of the NDB, yeah, Tim Priester would be the best, a former college baseball player and high school coach. That that seems like an easy one for me. Uh, and I think if I'm doing the worst, it'd probably be our coworker Carter Carls. Can you imagine Carter Carls as, as the manager of the White Sox? Uh, I would love if if I were, I would pay a lot of money to uh, to be a reporter at a game where Carter Carls was the manager and to ask him questions in the press conferences about his decisions made during the game. I would, I would love to do that. That would, that would be funny. That, that is the funniest thing for me to imagine of anyone on the beat to imagine Carter Carls as a baseball manager for anyone, but let alone the White Sox. I think that would be pretty hysterical. I think my prediction if Carter was the manager is somehow by the second week of the season or the second month of the season, there would be a wasp nest in the dugout. <laughs> wasp nest, and there would be Papa John's at every team meal. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. Tom Noy and Carter Carls will be back on Sunday with a recap of Saturday's Notre Dame-Louisville game. We'll see if Carter has a rebuttal to my uh, opinion of his managing prowess. Uh, Stick with NDInsider.com throughout the week for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs.